Today on This Week Health. I'm really convinced that there are going to be a couple of health systems that figure out the game is to be the living laboratory, that you have what they need. It's really not even about investing corporate dollars. It's really about creating some capability and then investing that capability in these companies. Welcome to This Week Health Community. This is Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels designed to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. We want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Town Hall. I'm Dr. Mark Weissman, a CIO and a CMIO, and I have a special guest with us today, Dr. David Levin. So David and I worked together at Centera Healthcare for about a decade together, and he has had an incredible journey, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the entrepreneurial venture space, and Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Uh, it's good to connect with you again. We did work together, but we have to tell the audience, it was like the Pliocene era, I think. <laughs> there was a paper involved. There was paper involved, exactly. <laughs> of that era. So, yeah. Exactly. That is was, still, was the age of carbon instead of electrons. So. Yes, absolutely. Well, Dave, you have such an interesting background. If you would briefly tell us about flow, tell us about how you got to flow, and then we're going to talk more about some of the venture stuff you're doing. Sure. Well, Mark, I often describe myself as the Forrest Gump of healthcare. I feel like most of my career, I've just like wandered into the frame and there were these really cool, smart people doing stuff and they let me hang out. And the story of me joining Flow is really just another chapter in the adventures of Forrest Gump. I had been working at a startup that I had co-founded for about six years and had reached a point where I was ready to do something different. And I reached out to a friend of mine, Dr. Eric Edwards, who was a very successful entrepreneur in the Richmond area. And I really just reached out to Eric to start networking because what I've learned over the years is who you know and how you network is as important, if not more important than what you know. I mean, you need to have some subject matter expertise, but if you're trying to move the needle or you're trying to advance your career, a lot of times that comes through relationships. And so I, honestly, I was just really getting started, turned on the networking and, and I reached out to Eric for what I thought was going to be introductions. And about halfway through that call, he asked me if I'd be interested in coming to work with him at Flow. And I didn't really know much about what they were doing. That was in, I think, September. And November 1st, I went to work for them uh, full time. So my role here is I am the chief medical and information officer. And it is truly a mashup of the traditional chief medical officer role and the CIO role. And so I have all the information systems, cybersecurity, as well as many of the clinical aspects of a pharmaceutical startup and manufacturer. The part of what's been really fascinating, and I suppose we'll get a little deeper into this, is it has taken me into the world of cyber physical systems, not something we deal a lot with in sort of traditional provider side of healthcare. Mm -hmm. It's been fascinating and a real education for me. 
you were the CMIO at Cleveland Clinic for some period of time back in yeah. your ancient past. And how did that role influence your next leap into the entrepreneurial space? Because I know the story, but I, I think it's fascinating for others yeah. to hear how to, to transition from CMIO to serial entrepreneur now. Yeah, it's really interesting. And the experience at Cleveland Clinic was as wonderful and as awful as you might imagine it would be. So incredible opportunity with truly talented, world-class individuals and an amazing organization, but some world-class challenges as well. And I was really fortunate. I came in as their first CMIO at a time of transition. And so I had a very large team and essentially responsibility for the clinical information systems worldwide, and which many CMIOs can kind of relate to. But Cleveland Clinic also had a tradition of entrepreneurship and innovation and venture investing with Cleveland Clinic Innovations. And historically, that focus was really more on medical devices and, and those sorts of things. The inventors were the physicians. Of course, you and I know healthcare technology sort of came on in a blazing sort of fashion in the last 10 or 15 years and has emerged as a major investment opportunity. So the clinic was kind of ramping up that health tech part. And me and a couple of my colleagues happened to be standing in the right place at the right moment. And so effectively, we served as the CMIOs for Cleveland Clinic Ventures as well. So that gave me exposure to that whole entrepreneurial ecosystem, that mindset. And candidly, it was my introduction to a number of different venture investors at different stages. And happily, some of those relationships survived my time at Cleveland Clinic and continue to this day and continue to provide great satisfaction to me and hopefully some value back to them as well. Awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about your current role at 757 Angels, which for those who don't know, 757 is the Virginia Beach area code. Yeah. And there is an investment community there that I can, it's pretty strong. I mean, it's, it's wonderful what they do for the community. Why don't I shut up and let you talk about <laughs> what you do for them yeah. and what 757 Angels <clears throat> Well, again, Mark, it's another Forrest Gump story because I wandered into the frame after some other really bright, talented, hardworking folks had come up with the vision and launched this thing. The basic idea here is that if you want entrepreneurship to drive your regional economy, you have to create an ecosystem. It takes startup companies. It takes investors. It takes mentors and accelerators. It takes support from other local businesses. And, you, and on the investment side, ideally, you, you create a series of investors because people invest at different stages of companies. They, they tend to migrate into an area they're comfortable in. And so you really need almost different organizations or collaborations to ensure that an entrepreneur is going to be, have access to funding throughout the life cycle of their company. So the Angels was started by a couple of local folks. And the idea was, this is a critical piece of building out that kind of a ecosystem. It's a good place to start. And that they felt that there were enough qualified investors in the region that we actually could put together a kind of investment club. 
So to be really clear, this is not a traditional fund. It's a club that folks pay dues to, and our staff sources potential investments. They do the vetting. We present that to our members. And then in some cases, we will like facilitate the formation of an LLC for as an investment vehicle, that sort of thing. It's been remarkably successful. The organization's about 10 years old. It is a top 10 angel group in the United States, um, which is really pretty remarkable. Again, I take zero credit for that. I showed up when they were already successful. So I serve as the board chair and really the focus of our work right now is like all good entrepreneurs, we built this thing as a startup and now we're trying to transition into the next stage of growth and to make it even bigger and more bulletproof and more sustainable over time. We work in collaboration with 757 Accelerate, which is a local accelerator. And we're trying to participate in some of the other regional and statewide ecosystems and continue to syndicate deals with other angel groups and other funds and and the like. It's been really a terrific experience. And for me personally, it's been a chance to meet a lot of really interesting people in the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area. So that's the story. And Maybe not quite a nutshell, but close to one. So it's not just a healthcare and that's right. And this town hall tends to deal with healthcare uh, and IT really things, but I did see some of those on there. How does seven five seven angels or any investor add value to that healthcare IT space? And what are they bringing to the table? These people who is it just dollars or is it knowledge? Is it connections? What are they bringing? Yeah, a terrific set of questions. And you're right. It's a, in terms of the types of sectors that we'll invest in, we're pretty agnostic. What we're more interested in are really promising companies that are going to generate jobs in the region. It turns out that these days, I'm going to guess a little bit, probably 40, 50% of what we see come through the deal funnel is somehow healthcare related. Almost all of that is tech or tech-enabled services of some kind. And I think that just reflects what's happened in healthcare and the investment opportunities in general over the last 10 years. In terms of what the investors bring, I'm going to kind of answer this more from the entrepreneur's perspective. So when I'm on that side of the table and I'm looking to raise money, I'm looking for what I call smart money. Anybody can write a check. The best investors can write a check, but they can also provide advice and they will bring their network so they can make introductions, those sorts of things as well. And so the best fit are typically folks who can bring something other than just their wallet to this party. Having said that, We definitely have investors that they'll pay attention, they'll go through the vetting and decide this is a bet I want to make. And then they're pretty passive after that, which is also okay. And entrepreneurs will have different perspectives on that. Sometimes they like to just take your money and they're happy if you'll go away. Others really seek to leverage all the added value they can out of their investors. So there's a lot of hospitals across the country with CIOs that aren't Cleveland Clinic. They're not going to have an innovation center with a physical structure that helps facilitate this. They're more community hospital-based perhaps, or local or regional players. Yeah. How do they get going in innovation without 
starting necessarily a fund internally, who do they partner with? How do they connect to other angel funds or other investing funds? What's your advice for the hospital CIO that wants to play in the innovation space, but it's not likely to get a $10 million check to go yeah. off and start something? Yeah. So I'm going to give two answers. I'm going to give the small ball answer and then the big ball answer. Okay. So I think the small ball answer is just like any other investing, you should invest in things you know. And so my advice to CIOs and CMIOs and others, innovation officers and the like, is look for solutions to problems that you actually care about right now. And we could talk about what some of those might be, but I don't think it's wise to go make these really speculative things. Like I'm going to go bet that this crazy AI thing is going to pay off in five years. That's not the type of investing that has a return for the typical health system. But maybe there's a small company that's got an interesting and elegant solution to a problem that you care about. And now there's an opportunity to be a strategic partner with them. And it, it may require a little bit of money, but probably as much as that what they want is access. They want your expertise. They want your guidance. They want a place to kind of refine whatever it is they're developing. And then they would like for you to be a customer who will give testimony so that it helps them scale up and sell. So if I had $5 instead of $10 million, that's what I would do. And, you know, and then obviously I've got to decide how much risk I'm comfortable with. If I'm a crazy man like me, I'll probably take a big risk on some real important problem Folks that have less risk tolerance would be wiser, and maybe it's a second tier problem, and they can afford to fail if they fail, but maybe this thing will really take off and be a hit. The trick to the small ball approach is the typical wisdom in venture investing is you need to make about 10 investments because nine of them are going to fail and one of them is going to be wildly successful. So kind of figuring out what's your quote unquote portfolio strategy may be a challenge in that approach. So that's the small ball approach that, you know, sort of one by one, one by one. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me about the large ball. Let's so, so here's the large ball thing. And I like, I almost don't want to talk about this because I think it's a billion dollar idea and anybody could do it, but I have yet to see anybody do it successfully. So what, most of these health tech companies and services companies need is a living lab. Candidly, they're often founded by subject matter experts who like, they really know their subject matter area, but they're not experts in business. They're not experts in entrepreneurship and scaling and those sorts of things. Or it might be the reverse. They might be previously successful entrepreneurs that have now come into healthcare and they're trying to figure out healthcare. I'm really convinced that there are going to be a couple of health systems that figure out the game is to be the test bed, to be the living laboratory, that you have what they need. You have patients, you have providers, you have administrators, you're delivering care in all different kinds of venues. And what a lot of these companies need is access to that so they can learn and refine. And I think there's an opportunity there for that to be your, if you will, contribution to them. And in return, you should get some equity in the company. There should be an upside. So it's really not even about investing 
corporate dollars. It's really about creating some capability and then investing that capability in these companies. And to me, that's a way to take the small ball thing and turn it into something that's much bigger. And if it works, now you've generated a new revenue stream for your company, which will make you a hero Mm -hmm. for operations. And it probably allows you to maintain or even scale that innovation more. Now so I've, twist, right? I mean, so uh, as the CIO, uh, I have a finite budget. I'm going to have finite resources and yeah. we're going to go tell operations. You have to wait because we're going to go do this other entrepreneurial thing over here. We're going to pull some resources off. Or are we duplicating our resources so that we can have that flexibility and agility that an entrepreneur, they're not going to say, we have to figure out our priority and you're not there. How does that yeah. really work? Yeah, well, I think the art there is it should be something operations cares about. So to me, the ideal would be you go to your buddy and so I'm going to use one that's very real for me right now. I'm really interested in inventory management and pharmacies right now, and it's highly balkanized. There's no interoperability there yet. So I would go to my buddy, the director of pharmacy and say, I know you're really struggling for a real-time view into your inventory. What have you got and how's it distributed across the physical footprint? And I've come across this little company. It's eight guys. There are two pharmacists that really care about this problem. I think they've built this really neat little elegant solution, but they need a place to kind of test it and refine it. And they're going to need a reputable health system like us to stand up next to them later and say, yeah, this thing works. We endorse it. What do you think? Are you willing to take a chance on this with me? That to me is the right engagement strategy. And then we, together, we engage this little startup company and we put them through their paces and we drive a really hard deal because what we're offering is unique and incredibly valuable to them. And hopefully we all win on the other side of it. So to me, that's the kind of the way to navigate and socialize it effectively. If I'm just the CIO and I show up with this thing, I'm going to get the back of their hand and, Mm -hmm. and probably rightly. Does that make sense? It does. What's your impression of the appetite? Today's and current environment, we got a little COVID thing sometimes, we've got some financial pressures. What's your gut feel about the vision of the C-suite to see beyond the next two years to position yeah. themselves? Because this is not like you flip the switch and money starts coming in. This is, That's right. You got to be thinking down. What do you think the appetite is? What's your feeling? Well, I think it all depends on what your focus is, what your objectives are. And so I'm going to, you're going to hear me make fun of AI a lot today. And it's not because I don't believe in it, but I just think it's like still off on the horizon. And I don't think it's immediately relevant to important problems. So you'll, it's not that I don't care about it or it doesn't hold promise. It's always just almost here. So if I show up in the C-suite and I want to sell this big AI initiative, I probably should be thrown out on my ear. <laughs> But if I show up in the C-suite and I say, hey, look, we've got some really core stuff that we still need to solve. I mean, we still don't have interoperability figured out. We've not really figured out how to remove time and space as barriers to care. Made a big leap forward because of COVID and we all had to adopt telehealth. But there's so much more to do there to refine and optimize. Revenue ops and revenue maximization. I I mean, I know these are all like old tried true chestnuts, but there's still a lot of juice in those oranges. And so my point would be 
these are important priorities for us as an organization. These are things that are going to generate top line revenue and reduce expense. And I'm going to pursue them in some of the traditional ways, but I want to reserve 5% to try some really innovative transformational things. That to me feels like a pretty reasonable pitch Mm -hmm. and a reasonable balance between the imperatives of the organization that are right in front of them, but also not completely mortgaging the future. All right. Last question for you. Yeah. So you've got a CIO or a CMIO out there who's interested in this entrepreneurial space, that networking piece that you talk about so important, who should they be seeking out to network with? They start calling up Silicon Valley guys or like, what does that really look like? Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of points of entry. The first is look in your region for a local accelerator. And that's always a good place to start. Look for innovative funds that are investing areas that you care about and angel investors and others. And then there are these occasional like showcases where you can go and see, it's almost like a shark tank type thing. But, you know, essentially you just need to show up at those places And what you'll find out is just like health tech is a small world, this is a small world too. And frankly, people will be very excited that you're there because again, you may not appreciate it, but you bring these really valuable assets to this, which is your knowledge of healthcare and the ability to provide folks with real world experience and and a real world opportunity. And then I would just, as I said earlier, I would look for something that is a plausible solution something you actually care about. I would stay away from the stuff that's like really wild flyers kinds of things. I just, I think the likelihood of failure is too high and the cycle times are too long that you need to, it's like anything else when you're starting, look for some quick wins, Mm -hmm. look for ways to kind of, you know, tilt the deck in your favor. And, And again, I think the way to do that is go after things that you really care about and find small, elegant solutions, and then partner with them. Be smart money. Be smart money for them. Am I making sense here, Mark? Yeah, this is great and stuff. I, it's not the education the average CIO is going to get in uh, some yeah. boot camp or, or certainly nothing we got in medical school. Yeah. Uh, we got the antithesis of this kind of advice. Very risk-averse training. But this is awesome. It's a great conversation. I greatly appreciate you sharing some of that knowledge because your journey has been really interesting for those of us who kind of follow. All right, what's Dave into now? You know, you definitely go in, in, in really fun direction. So well, Dave, thanks for joining the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. You got it. I love this show. I love hearing from people on the front lines. I love hearing from these leaders. And we want to thank our hosts who continue to support the community by developing this great content. We also want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. If you want to support the show, let someone know about our shows. They all start with This Week Health, and you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. Keynote, Town Hall, and Newsroom, check them out today. And thanks for listening. That's all for now.